If you're able, if you would stand uh, to honor God's word this morning, I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not, the man, is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of, the, of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, and I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father God, this morning we, we gather around the gospel. We come together to, to celebrate the reality that in Christ, all of our needs have been met. Our, our, our eternal destiny has been settled. That through his shed blood, we have a restored relationship with you. That our sins have been forgiven. Lord, we, we gather today to acknowledge that, that we don't have to work our way into your favor. But that everything we need has been accomplished by Christ. So, Lord, we give you thanks for that that blessed reality. Lord, I pray that that is, that is something that we would cling to, that we would preach the gospel to ourselves day after day after day and, 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 and marvel at the wonder of what Christ has done for us. Lord, we, we thank you for this time, for this opportunity to come together as your people to, to worship you through word and through song. Lord, I pray that you'll be pleased this morning by our praises, by our worship, by our adoration of you. Lord, we pray that you will bring glory to yourself. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, um, I was going to say if you've been with us, whether you've been with us or not, this is true. We have, since the beginning of the year, been spending time uh, unpacking looking, uh, uh, trying to get, dig deep into what, uh, what your elders have, have determined are the values that we, that we hold dear and the, and the vision that we have for, for where God, we believe God is leading us. Um, the, the, the vision statement flows from our mission statement. Our mission statement is simply this. Our Lord Jesus Christ commissions us to glorify the Father by making disciples as we go into the world, gather into the church, and teach the church to obey His commands by the Spirit of God. So we spent some time considering what it means to be a going church, and then we spent a little more time considering what it means to be a gathering church. And then last Sunday, we began to consider what it means to be a church that teaches. And in order to do that, we decided to actually teach through a book of the Bible. Um, the, 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 gather, the going and the gathering were a little more scattered, um, perhaps just a little more topical, although we were still expositional in our preaching. Uh, there, there wasn't a particular book that we took our texts from. For this teaching portion, we are getting our, our, um, our text from, from the book of Galatians. And uh, Pastor Chris introduced that last week. Um, just as a quick review, the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, was not written just to one church. Galatia is not a city. Galatia 
uh, was a province, a Roman province that included no, a number of different cities that Paul and his uh, his partner Barnabas went to on their first missionary journey. Cities like um, Antioch and Pisidia and Iconium and Lystra. There were various places where Paul and Barnabas went and, and, and preached the gospel and planted churches. And it's to those churches that Paul is writing in the book of Galatians, this letter to the churches in Galatia. Uh, it seems that after Paul and Barnabas left, went back to the other Antioch from which they were sent forth, someone or someones have come behind them and have brought what Paul calls a, a different gospel, a, 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 another gospel, although he says it's not a gospel at all. At the very beginning of the book, you might recall that he, he kind of lays out what the gospel is, that through the, the, through the, the, the sacrificial, uh, the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ on our behalf and through his resurrection, we are uh, able to have peace with God and that we are called to become God's people. He says, that's what the gospel is, and you have um, been listening to these other... And he's um, vehemently against that. Um, uh, Chris noted last week that unlike in all of his other letters, Paul doesn't give uh, doesn't doesn't pause to give thanks for the people of Galatia. He launches right into his um, objections to what they have been doing, the objection that he has because they have been listening to these others who have been bringing this this gospel that is contrary to the gospel that was preached. And he says, if anybody comes to you, if I were to come to you, if an angel from heaven were to come to you and bring some other gospel than the gospel we taught when we were with you, let them be accursed. Very strong language. Uh, Paul is, is vehemently, as I said, vehemently opposed to these people who... And this week we're going to see that Paul is going to state his case very clearly. It's almost as if Paul is standing in a courtroom and he has a case that he wants to present. And then he is going to provide evidence for his case. The, the claim that he makes is, is rather remarkable. Um, the claim that he makes is that the gospel that he preached to the people in Galatia was not taught to him by anyone but Christ himself. It wasn't a gospel that came from his learning from other people. It wasn't a gospel that came from other men. It was a gospel that came directly from Jesus Christ himself. And then he's going to present evidence to support that claim. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, if you didn't notice, we turned to Galatians chapter 1. That's where, um, that's what, where Robert read from. Um, so we're going to begin, as he did, in, in verse 11. Um, I, I titled this message, uh, The Gospel of God. I actually um, commandeered that title, from, not from Galatians, but from Romans. The very beginning of Romans, Paul writes this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. I think that is what Paul is, is, is presenting for our consideration this morning, that the gospel that he preached... The gospel that he brought to the people of Galatia was quite literally the gospel of God. Um, not, not just a gospel about God, but a gospel that came directly from God. God is not, the, not only the subject of the gospel, but he is the source of this gospel that Paul preached. So his claim is that both his apostleship and his gospel came from Christ. Again, he writes this in verses 11 and 12. I would have you know, brothers, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, I say that he, his, he claims that his apostleship and his gospel both came from Christ because of what he wrote at the very beginning of the book. This is how the book begins. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. You notice there's almost, there's almost a formula here that Paul is using. He uses this not, nor, but formula. He is not an apostle from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. And then when he comes to the gospel in verse 11, he says that the gospel was preached to me is not man's gospel. He did not receive it from any man, nor was he taught it, but he received it 
through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's this parallel between his, his apostleship, which came not from men, but through Jesus Christ, and this gospel that came not through men, but through Jesus Christ. I think he's claiming both here, that both his apostleship and the gospel that he preached to the Galatians was from Jesus Christ himself. It's similar to what he wrote to the Thessalonians. He wrote this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. He has this gospel that he preached, uh, what he calls the Word of God in, in 1 Thessalonians. And the claim is that this was not something that came through his interaction self. He says this was a gospel that he preached. There's, um, there's almost a play on words here. The word that is translated preached is actually, uh, actually comes from the same root word as the word gospel does. So it's as if he's saying that he preached the good news of the gospel. Or he preached the gospel of the gospel to the to the, the Galatian people. Um, the, the 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 root word here is uh, euangelion. There was uh, an aspect of his preaching that was was gospel in nature. He preached the good news of the gospel to them, and it says what he taught them, what he preached to them. This good news of the gospel that he preached to them was received by him directly through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, I didn't receive it from any man. I wasn't taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This word revelation is uh, apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. It's the same word that takes that from which the book of Revelation gets its title. So there was this, there was this idea of a, of a revelation that came to him. He uses the same word. He'll, when we get to chapter 2 um, next week, he'll use that same word when he, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I went up because of a revelation. Same idea. He, he went up to Jerusalem, and it was as a result of this revelation that he had received. We, we'll see a little bit more of this. I'll get to this a little bit later. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he describes something, something incredible that, that happened to him. Um, he, he has a, it's a little bit different in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, he describes it in a, in, a, in a similar way. This is what he wrote there. Ephesians chapter 3, picking up in verse, uh, yeah, in verse 1. He says this, for, the reason, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace." So it's not just here, but elsewhere, where Paul makes this very extraordinary claim that the gospel that he taught to the people of Galatia was not a gospel that he received from any other man. It was given to him directly through a revelation from Christ. It was Christ's gospel. It was quite literally the gospel of God that he brought to them. So that's his claim. And then he proceeds in the, through, here through the end of the chapter to lay out uh, various items of evidence, if you will. It is very much like a court case, at least the way I read it. In fact, um, if, you look, if you look at verse 20, he even takes a moment uh, to, to swear himself in. He says in verse 20, In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. You know, normally, you swear yourself in before you give testimony. He kind of takes a break in the middle of his testimony to, to swear himself in. But it's almost as if he's saying, I, I am get what the testimony I'm giving to you is the truth. It is the whole truth. It is nothing but the truth. So help me, God. He's saying, I'm not lying to you. What I am testifying to you is true. And uh, so he presents what I see as four pieces of evidence. He begins in verse 13 with the evidence of, his, uh, of what he calls his former life. He says this, 
For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I. He says, you've heard. So that's the first piece of evidence that he lays down. He says, you've heard. It's interesting that he says that. It's as if what what was known about Paul is common knowledge. We'll see that later um, in verse 23. It says the same thing about the people in Judea, that that they had heard about Paul, that it was common knowledge what he had done, where he had come from, what he was trying to do to the church. It was something that that they knew about. He said that he was violently persecuting the church. He persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. This is his own testimony. He says this in Acts chapter 26. He's uh, giving testimony here. This is literally a, a, a almost a court case where he's before Agrippa giving his defense. And he says this about himself. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. Paul doesn't pull any punches. Really has nothing to hide about his former life. Apparently, as I said, it's it's common knowledge. Everybody knows that this Paul of Tarsus was a, a violent persecutor of the church. Notice all the, the the eyes in this statement. He says, I persecuted the church. I was advancing in Judaism. I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. See how very self-centered this is. He says, it was all about me. In my former life, it was all about me and, and, and what I saw as the right thing to do to persecute this church that I saw as, as being in opposition to God. This uh, self-centeredness was something that, that characterized his, his former life. And then I, I think we get perhaps the first hint of what it is that is at issue here. At the beginning of the chapter, we saw that he talks about these others. These he calls them. He just calls them some. There are are some who who trouble you, want to distort the gospel of Christ. He doesn't name them. He doesn't say who they are. He doesn't even say specifically what it is that they are teaching. That is somehow a different gospel. But we get we begin to get a hint of it here. You see, he says, "You've heard about my former life in in Judaism." And then in verse 16, in verse 14, he says, and I was advancing in, in Judaism. So the, you get the idea that something is wrapped up in this idea of, of, of Judaism. This is the only place in the New Testament, by the way, where that word appears. The only time Paul uses it is here in this context. He's saying that I was very strong. I was extremely zealous. It was because of my Judaism that I persecuted the church. I was, I was a prodigy, if you will. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. This, this Judaism seems somehow to be at the center of his life. And, and I don't think he's talking about here about his, his Jewishness. Because Paul talks very differently about his Jewishness. This is um, Romans chapter 9. He writes this to the church in Rome. He says this in verses 4 through 5. He says, talking about what he calls his kinsmen, according to the flesh, his, his fellow Jews. He says, they are, they are Israelites, worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And then this, at the very beginning of chapter 11 of Romans, he says, I ask that as God rejected his people, by no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe has, uh, tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So I think when Paul is talking here about Judaism, again, I don't think he's talking about his Jewishness. Jewish, he, he, he values his Jewishness. He values his heritage. I think what he's talking about is not Jewishness, but, but Judaism. And from, what, from which we get this, uh, tr- this, uh, this idea of Judaizers. 
that's not a word that actually appears in Scripture, but um, scholars use that word to describe the people that have come, uh, particularly here to Galatia, to bring their, their brand of gospel, their different gospel, to the people of Galatia. And, and, the, and the crux of it is that, that they think that the people of Galatia need to continue to be lawkeepers. This idea of Judaism is an idea of following the Judaic law, that, that they need to be followers of that law. We get that same kind of idea again back in, in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, uh, writes this. Again, praying for his kinsmen according to the flesh. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the, these people that have come behind Paul and Barnabas and are preaching this different gospel, they are saying that it's the gospel plus. It's, it's Christ's sacrifice on your behalf and. Again, we get, we get sort of glimmers of this, and we'll see this as, as Paul goes through the book. He'll give us more and more details. Um, this is from chapter 2. Uh, this is verse, verse 12. He writes this. I think it's 212. Yeah, 212. He writes this. He says, um, For being for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they drew back, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. The circumcision party. That's a, a sort of a label that he's placing on these people that came. They are part of what he calls the, the circumcision party. Or then he asked this question. This is in chapter 3. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? So we're beginning to get to the idea, and he's going to have much more to say about it. Paul's going to have much more to say about this throughout the book. He's, he's, he's going to tell us what these people are, are preaching as this different gospel, and it quite simply, is that they want the people of Galatia to continue to follow the Jewish law, to be, to be circumcised, to follow in the ceremonial law. And Paul is going to very vehemently object. And we see a, a little more evidence of that, a little more hinting of that in, in what he says here. Uh, he says that he was extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers. Extremely zealous for the traditions of of his fathers. Again, I think what we're seeing here is that there's something that's being added to the pure, unadulterated gospel. That not only do we have Christ crucified, risen, we have, we have these traditions that we want to continue to follow, these traditions that Paul was zealous to follow. If you, if you remember from the gospels, this is something that Jesus um, dealt with on the regular. Um, this is just one example. This is from Matthew chapter 15 says this, the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I think that's the same thing that Paul is coming up against here in Galatia. There are, there are these traditions, what Jesus calls the commandments of men, and, and these Judaizers have come in and they're trying to add that back. In order to become a good Christian, you also have to be a good Jew. You have to do both. And Paul is saying, no, that's not the case. That's not the gospel that I received. So his first piece of evidence was his former life, that he was one of these Judaizers, perhaps the chief of the Judaizers. He was extremely zealous for his Jewish faith. And then he recounts a change. 
he provides as his next piece of evidence his conversion and his commission. Picking up in verse 15, Paul writes this, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Glorious words, are they? aren't they? I mean, that he who had set me apart before I was born, he who, who called me, he who was pleased to reveal his son to me. First thing that strikes me is how God-centered this statement is. When he was talking about his former life, it was all about him, what he had done, what he had accomplished. And now it's all about what God has done. But when he, but when God set me apart, he says he set me apart before he was born. It's entirely appropriate that uh, uh, Chris read from Jeremiah's commission this morning, that he too was set apart before he was born. It's, it's quite literally set apart from his mother's womb. And you know, I'm tempted to take a pro-life excursus at this point, but I'm not going to. I don't think that's Paul's primary point, but it's, but it's here, and we could spend some time on it if, if we had the time. Um, Paul was set apart from his mother's womb, set apart before he was born. He was called by God, by God's grace. God was pleased to reveal his son to me. Uh, alternate translation, pleased to reveal his son in me. This is, this is the gospel. This is the gospel being set forth in Paul's life. And I've got to be honest with you, that didn't occur to me when I first read this, probably the first, I mean, as I was studying through this passage, it didn't occur to me how much gospel there is in Paul's story. It seems obvious now. Um, I'm actually indebted to, um, to Tim Keller for that insight. Um, I, I don't know how many of you know, um, about a week or so ago, Tim Keller um, uh, went into the presence of his Lord. Um, he's now receiving his reward for his faithful service. Um, I picked up this little book. It's called Galatians for You. It's Tim's commentary on the book of Galatians. I recommend it to you. It comes in paperback, Kindle form. Get one. Read it. It's super accessible. Um, it's very pastoral. It was written by, by a pastor. Um, and he wrote this, and this sort of turned the light on for me, um, which is something I, I guess I probably should have seen along. He says, Paul's testimony doesn't only establish his authority as a gospel teacher, it also illustrates structure as well as its content, shows us that the gospel of grace underpins every step of the Christian life. Paul will keep coming back to it. So should we in our lives, our prayers, our thoughts, our witness, our preaching and teaching. So when, when Paul is telling us uh, about his, his former life and then what happened to him when he, when he was converted and when he was commissioned, he's not just telling us facts about his life. He's telling us, he's, he's setting up himself, I think, as an example of what the gospel can do. It's, it's not just evidence, but it's an example in Paul's life of what he was and what he became. It's an example of a life that has been transformed by the power of the gospel that he preached. And the same is true for us. You know, sometimes you th we, we set these Bible characters up as, as, as something high and lifted up and lofty and, and that they're other than we are. But the same things that Paul writes about himself are true of us as well. We are no different than Paul was. You see, we also have been saved by grace. We also have been called. Um, this, is, um, this is Keller's definition of the gospel, by the way. Uh, he writes this. He says, the gospel is the message that we are more wicked than we could... Uh, I'm sorry, let me start again. <clears throat> the gospel is the message that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. Let me say that again. The gospel is the message that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. Again, this is true of all of us. Um, we have been, uh, we have read countless times the, uh, the Christ hymn in Colossians chapter 1. 
um, we're very familiar with it, but I don't, we, we should probably sometimes just keep going because after the Christ hymn, Paul writes this, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, Paul's former life was our former life. We were once alienated. We were once hostile in mind. Or this, this is from, this is from Romans chapter 5. Again, Paul writing, he writes this. Chapter 5, there we go. He says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him, or saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So in a real sense, Paul's story is our story. If we've come to faith in Christ... Paul's story is, is our story. We were once alienated. We were once hostile. We were once enemies of God. And while we were enemies of God, he sent his son to pay the price for our sins so that we could be reconciled to him, so that we too could be called by him, so that we too could be set apart before we were born, to be, to be called by him, to be commissioned by him. This is true of, of all of us. This is our common experience as Christians. I mean, this is what Paul writes. This is Romans 8. Familiar words. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, glorified in the past tense, as if it has already happened. Because from God's perspective, it has. All those things have already occurred for us. We're, we're still in process. But for, from God's perspective, he sees us fully justified. He even sees us glorified. So just as Paul was an enemy, just as he was hostile, just as he was violently trying to destroy the church, we too were also hostile to God. And in the midst of our hostility, he, he called us. This, again, was revealed to him. This same word here that he used back in, uh, in, in verse 12, he uses again in verse 15 or in verse 16 when he says that God was pleased to reveal his son to me. We can read the story. We won't do it now. I recommend it to you. Read the story in Acts chapter 9 of how initially God revealed his son to him. Um, I do want to read uh, again from his testimony to Agrippa, though. This is what Paul testified there. This is in verse 12 of chapter 26 of Acts. He says, In this connection, as he was trying to wipe out the church, In this connection I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and, in, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified 
my faith in me. Now, and I'll be the first to admit, my, my personal testimony isn't nearly that dramatic. You know, I wasn't driving down the road and I didn't get knocked off my horse or out of my car by, by a brilliant and bright light. So in a sense, Paul's, Paul's story is, is extraordinary. But in another sense, it is not. Because just as God revealed Christ to Paul, God revealed Christ to me. And if you have come to faith in Christ, Paul, uh, God revealed Christ to you. You didn't come to that realization. You didn't come to that revelation on your own. No, you were hostile and alienated. You were an enemy. And even in the midst of your hostility and alienation, you were called. Just as Paul was called. And that, my friends, is, uh, is gospel. It's good news. Two more pieces of evidence. This is uh, picking up in the middle of verse 16. Um, Paul has talked about how he was called and commissioned, how he was converted and commissioned, and then he says this, After that happened, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into, into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And he's following this sort of interesting not, nor, but formula. I did not immediately consult, nor did I go up to Jerusalem, but I went away into Arme. I think that's significant. He is again making a claim to apostleship, a claim that he could not make had it not been for the revelation of Christ that was given to him. See, capital A apostles were a special breed. Those are ones who had spent time with Jesus, who had been witnesses to what Jesus had accomplished. If you remember when at the, at the very beginning of the book of Acts when they're trying to replace Judas, one of the criteria was that the person that was going to take Judas's place was one who had been a witness to what Christ had done, who had walked with them. That's why Paul calls himself elsewhere one who was as almost one who was unnaturally born. He's, he's not an apostle in that sense. He, he wasn't with Jesus for, the, for that time. And yet he became an apostle because he had this revelation. There were ones that were apostles before him, but as he said again back in verse 1, he was an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. He says he, he went away. He went away into Arabia, returned again to Damascus, didn't go down to Jerusalem, didn't talk with anyone, anyone there, didn't consult with the other apostles. It makes me wonder. He's not telling us specifically what happened while he was there. I wonder, perhaps, if that was the time when he received some of this revelation, this time that he spent in Arabia. We, we see at the beginning of 18 that he actually was away for about three years. It says that he was um, like the others, but not just the same. He, the other apostles, as he refers to them in verse 19, says that after three years he went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remain with him for 15 days, but he didn't see any of the other apostles. Again, alluding to the fact that he too is an apostle. So it does make me wonder, what, what, what was he doing during that time? There might have been a time when this revelation of Jesus came to him. I, I tend to think, I mean, I, I can't prove it, that he was just spending a lot of time in the Word. He was spending a lot of time studying Scripture. I think this is the time where this gospel became solidified in his, in his mind and in his heart. As he looked through, as he studied, as he poured through the, the, the Jewish Scriptures, the, the Scripture that he had grown up on, the Scripture with which he was already very familiar, but he was seeing it in a whole new light, and he was seeing Jesus in it everywhere. We see it in his letters as he, as he quotes Old Testament texts. We know that he now sees Jesus in, in the Scripture that he was studying. Um, it's interesting to me, and again, I can't, I can't prove anything here. I think, I think Keller points this out as well, that he says that it was after three years that he went up to Jerusalem. Was that three years intended to be equivalent to the three years that the other apostles spent receiving their instruction directly from Jesus? Again, can't prove that, but it is interesting that he did spend a period of three years receiving this instruction, perhaps directly from Christ himself, and I think also, as I said, through his study of the Scriptures. 
And then it says, after that three-year time, he, went up to, he finally went up to Jerusalem and he went to, to visit Cephas. That's Peter. He also, at that time, met James, who was the brother, the brother of Jesus. Um, this word visit, the NASB translates that, become acquainted with. He says he went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, to become acquainted with Peter. And at that time, he only remained there for 15 days. What's his point? Again, he's trying to, to, to prove that he didn't get his gospel from anyone else but Jesus himself. He didn't get it from Peter. He didn't get it from James. When he went to Jerusalem after three years, having already received revelation from Jesus, he went there just to get to know them. Say hello. Get to know them a little bit. And then it says that he went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Syria would have been a little bit further north and Cilicia a little bit further north than that, just south of Galatia. Cilicia was actually um, uh, Paul's home province. The city of Tarsus is in Cilicia, so he, he eventually just went home. In fact, if you think about the story in Antioch, uh, when, when Barnabas went to plant the church in Antioch and he went looking for Paul, he went looking for Paul in Tarsus. That's where Paul was. Paul, after this visit with Peter and James in Jerusalem, he went home and we there's this there's this period of time, um, maybe even up to ten years, what what uh, scholars call his silent years. And again, we're not altogether sure what was going on, but we do get a glimpse. And I mentioned Second um, Corinthians chapter twelve uh, earlier. Uh, I just want to read a little bit from it. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, he says, um, "I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions." In revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up, that this man was caught up into paradise, out of the body I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now, it sounds like he's talking about somebody else. We learn a little bit later in the passage he's actually, actually talking about himself because he says that he received a thorn in the flesh because of these surpassing revelations. So perhaps when he was away in Arabia, perhaps during this time where he was in, in, in Syria and then went home to Cilicia, went home to Tarsus, we, we don't know when in his history this happened, but we do know that Paul received um, supernatural revelation from Christ, and that's where his gospel came from. I think it came from his study of the Word. It came from these supernatural revelations that came to Christ that he said, I can't even, I can't even explain to you what happened. I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body. I, I, I can't, God knows, I, I'm not even sure. And I received these revelations that are just, uh, well, as he says, they're, they're things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. They're just unspeakable. They're, they're just indescribable this is all part of the revelation that, that he's talking about. And then one final piece of evidence. He, gives, uh, he, he talks about the impact that his life, that his conversion had on the Judean church. This is how he, he ends this section, this, this chapter. He says in verse 22, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea who were in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. So again, we, similar to what we saw in Galatia, Paul said, You've heard about my former life. Apparently down in Judea they'd heard about him too. But they, but they had never seen him in person. Again, he's making the point, I, I wasn't there. I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't go back to Judea to get my instruction. My instruction came from Christ and Christ alone. He said, so they wouldn't, they wouldn't have known me if they ran into me on the street. It's basically what he's saying there. I was unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. You know, if I'd walked into Jerusalem, they wouldn't have known it was me. They'd heard about me. They'd heard about what happened. They'd heard about my former life and that I was one who was seeking to destroy the church and they, and they heard that, that, I, that I'd been converted and that I was commissioned and now he's preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And we see that very interesting play on words here, that word preaching um, is, is, that comes from the same root word as, as gospel. So he's preaching the good news of the faith he once tried to destroy, preaching the gospel of the faith he once tried to destroy. 
This is, by the way, the first time the word faith appears in the book of Galatians, but it will not be the last. Overall, the word faith appears 22 times. This is the first of 22. Uh, also, the word believe appears a number of times as well. Believe came, comes from the same root word. It's just, the, it's just the verb form of faith, which we had one in English, so we could say, you know, I, I faithed, because um, that's quite literally what it is in, in, the, in Greek. So Paul is going to have a lot to say about faith moving forward through the next, uh, next five chapters. But this is where he begins to tell that story. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And then he concludes with this. And they glorified God because of me. And they glorified God because of me. Again, entirely appropriate. This kind of loops us back to where we were at the beginning of the chapter when Paul begins with grace and peace from God our Father who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. All of this evidence, Paul is saying, redounds to the glory of God. He didn't glorify me because of what happened to me. They glorified God because of what had happened to me. So I want to leave you with these few thoughts, some, some takeaways, if you will. The first thing I want to leave you with is the reality that other gospels abound. Other gospels abound. The, the idea of absolute truth is, is entirely anathema to our current worldview the culture, the worldview of our current culture. The idea that you can be somehow in possession of some kind of absolute truth. Nobody, nobody believes that anymore, or very few. Truth is relative. You know, you can have your truth, and I can have my truth, and they can be equally valid, even if contradictory. And that's fine. You know, you have your truth, I'll have my truth, and we're all, and we're all good. Paul would not be down with that. He would say there is an absolute truth. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is no other way for, of salvation but through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that we are all born hostile, alienated from God, and that we need salvation, we need deliverance, we need to be reconciled to him. So I just want to leave you with, with reality. When you interact with people in, in the culture, maybe we, even when we interact with one another because the culture rubs off on us. I think, I think we are very much like the Galatians. We are prone to hearing other voices and being influenced by, by other voices. You know, Paul throws up his hands in exasperation. He says, I just taught you the true gospel. Why are you going after something else? Well, let's be real. We are all prone to that. We're all prone to hearing the voice of other, other gospels, if you will. So Paul is calling us back to the one true gospel. Other gospels abound. There is relative truth in our culture, but there is only one gospel. I also want to leave you with this. I mean, I've been comparing us to Paul. Uh, maybe that seems bold. I don't, I don't know. But the reality for us is that like Paul, we too have been entrusted with this gospel. You know, it seems a little crazy that God would do it that way. But he's entrusted us with the gospel. Just as Paul was entrusted with the gospel, we too have been gospel, the proclaimers of the good news of the faith. That's what we are called to do. That's what we've been, like Paul, have been commissioned to do. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary responsibility. But it's one that we all carry. We have been entrusted with the gospel. And also, like Paul, we, we all have a testimony. If we are in Christ, we have a testimony of the transforming power of that gospel. We have something to share with the world about what, about what God in Christ has done for us. 
not just some sort of abstract concept of a gospel, but, a, but, a, but a, a tangible reality of what that gospel can do in the heart and life of a person. We carry that with us, as, as Paul did. Um, and I, went, I, I think I'll let Tim Keller have the, the last word. He, he puts it this way. And this, with, with this, I will close. He says, Paul does not share his testimony out of habit, nor for general inspirational purposes, nor because he enjoys putting a spotlight on his personal experiences. He only shares his testimony because he believes it will help his hearers find Christ and encourage them not to lose him. He has no desire for attention or acclaim. He is completely focused on his listeners. He's not using his hearers to boost his ego, but using his testimony to help his friends. Paul is a good example to us here. He shows us that we must have the courage to be vulnerable and speak personally about what the gospel means to us. Why? Because Christianity is an appeal to bring our whole life, mind, and heart to Christ. To leave out how we think or how we feel is to give an incomplete picture of how comprehensive Christian commitment is. If we leave out our testimony, it also gives an incomplete picture of how complete Christian fulfillment is. Christ not only appeals to our minds, he fills our hearts. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful for the, for the example of the Apostle Paul. No, we're thankful that you called him, that you called one who was utterly devoted to the destruction of the gospel and called him to be the one who wrote half of the New Testament, called him to be the one who, who, who proclaimed the gospel perhaps more powerfully more insightfully than, than any human in history. And so we have the benefit of, of holding in our hands what you revealed to him, what, what Christ revealed to him, this, this mystery of the gospel. But, we're, Lord, we're also um, reminded that just as Paul had a gospel to proclaim, we too have a gospel to proclaim. That we have a testimony of what that gospel has done for us. Lord, I pray that we would not neglect that, that responsibility. Lord, I pray that if there is, is, is someone here this morning that has not yet come to faith, now is the time. What, what better time after having heard what the gospel can do in the life of, of a person? But for those of us who have come to faith, Lord, I pray that, that that faith would be energized, that we would be in need of the truth, and that you would use us to share that truth with a world that is lost. And Lord, we'll... Um, We'll give you praise and glory for all of that because all of that is empowered by your spirit. There's nothing that we can do on our own. So we thank you for the gift of your spirit as well. Lord, we just pray that you would, you would use us. Make us useful to you. We pray this in Christ's name.